Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Well, in the past, Business Matters has featured stories from female founders who have struggled to access financial backing for their businesses. My final guest this morning, Sarah Wallet, needed to seek the backing of international investors to facilitate her growth ambitions for her business, Kandora, which is staggering as she had truly identified a unique gap in the market. Sarah joins us now to tell us more. Sarah, perhaps you could start the interview by providing us with an insight into your own background. Thanks for having me. Sure. I'm Canadian. I'm uh, originally from Canada. I've been living in Ireland for just under four years. Um, and I've had a career that's kind of been split between working for multinational big media companies like BBC Worldwide, Lonely Planet, CNN. And I've also had a couple of startups of my own, um, as well as joining some startups. So I've had this kind of varied career that's led me to to Kandora. So after spending 20 years working for media companies around the world, why did you decide to take the leap into the world of entrepreneurship? Well, it was a combination of factors, really. I was living a problem that I couldn't find a solution to. So I wanted to try. I realized that um, if I was living it, there were probably others who had the same issue and I could help them through it. Um, but also, I, I really am, I think, by nature, quite a, uh, an entrepreneurial person. So even in the roles that I had in the corporate side, um, they tended to be roles that were kind of like running startups within big companies. So it was kind of a natural progression for me in that way. So what was that problem that you were having that you felt you needed to start a business to solve? Yeah, well, I, I'd had a baby. So I had a baby um, in 2019 and kind of mid-2020 um, realized that we had all this beautiful stuff that we'd bought for her, which was the equivalent of buying kind of luxury goods. You know, they're just um, great buggies and furniture and all kinds of things that were fabulous quality, great brands. They were not inexpensive. And when she was done with them and she outgrew them, my only option to be able to sell them on to say another family was by going to mass marketplaces like adverts or Facebook market place. And I'm a big fan of um, kind of really specialized managed marketplaces like Vestiaire Collective is a good example. Um, even Depop does it a bit better than than um, the mass marketplaces. And there was just nowhere to be able to do this with these items that I couldn't find it. So when I couldn't find it, we decided to build it. So Kendora is essentially a re-commerce platform. But how do you ascertain that a demand existed for such a problem? I did actually, when I first was kind of encountering this problem myself, I um, I sent out just a quick kind of Google Sheet survey to 15, 15 or 20 parents that I knew um, across kind of uh, the UK, Ireland and, and parts of Europe, and they sent them on to other families. So in the end, we had just over 100 respondents to this kind of questionnaire. And what was really clear was that a lot of parents had the same problem, which was that they bought this amazing stuff. They had spent quite a lot of money on these items. They were then storing them indefinitely, and they knew that there was value in them, but they just couldn't handle the idea of listing them on a marketplace, dealing with kind of tire kickers and the haggling and the hassle of trying to figure out how to pay someone and all those types of things. So that problem was very real. Um, and our, even just through that survey, realized that there is there's something in this that is um, that's a business and there's a better solution to it if we can build it. So apart from the specialization, how have you gone about differentiating Kindora from other established online marketplaces? 
So there's there's actually kind of two key ways that we are different to say a mass marketplace. And so one is we focus very, very much on the quality control and on the premium end of the market. So everything that goes on to Kindora that comes from what we call a resale product, so it's owned by a family already and it's being sold on to another family, is digitally vetted. So there's a, a an application process we go through to make sure it's the right brand. The items are less than five years old. We look at quality in terms of condition with images and everything else. Um, but then and once it meets that kind of quality control standard, it can be listed on the, on the platform. But even further than that, we're now kind of starting a new, a new process where everything is vetted physically. So we actually, if it's a great product, we'll physically, we'll buy it back from you because we know it has market value. We'll, we'll do that at an agreed price. Um, we'll check it. We'll safety check it, clean it, make sure that everything is in working order. We'll repackage it and add a warranty to it and sell it on. So it's completely different to kind of going um, kind of into the unknown of a mass marketplace. And the second way that we're very different is we work with all of the best brands. So we um, are able to tap into the supply of overstock and returned items. Some of them are ex-demo items that are from amazing brands in the industry. And they like us because we are a premium platform. It's a really nice e-commerce experience that feels very premium to match their brand. Um, but also we are helping them because it's costly to warehouse things indefinitely. Um, about 20% of the stuff that gets warehoused gets destroyed every year. Um, and they, they need to find ways to unlock um, the revenue that's sitting there. So we help them do that. And what are your key considerations when purchasing stock? So I would say there's two things. So one is, um, I should say, we don't buy everything. So we say, no, we actually only accept about 60% of what's submitted to us. Um, but the two kind of key considerations, one is the condition. So we make sure that everything is in, we expect wear and tear, of course. These are our resale items. But we, we they have to be at the minimal wear and tear. So we do an assessment based on that. Buggies are a great example where the chassis are obviously going to have some scratches. But if any of the fabrics in the seat are ripped or there's stains that are kind of hard to get out, we won't take those those products but age is also critical for us so we don't take items that are less or sorry over five years old um, for a number of reasons but i think that that ensures that everything is um, in good working order that some of them and in, in most cases we're able to add a warranty to it it just makes sure that these are still kind of top quality items and we curate by brand quite frankly so um, we don't take all brands we take the brands that we see in kind of big demand um, we are constantly um, keeping an eye on the marketplaces on the first hand market on a number of kind of um, information sources to make sure that we know what brands are in demand what products within those brands and that's what we look for and of course, you're selling a mix of new and pre-owned products. So mm-hmm. how much can a consumer expect to save on the recommended retail price of these products? As a buyer, I mean, we keep, we're looking at kind of prices that are up to 40% off the retail price. Um, and what's great about that is when you look at the, those two sources of where we get things from, kind of the industry itself. So we call those outlet items, as well as from families that, are, that already have these items and we're selling them as resale. You get so much more choice in terms of color, um, that if you kind of want to customize a product, so if you wanted a buggy and you need to get some accessories for it, we can help you source those. Um, but the price savings is significant. And there's also a major sustainability savings. So we know that buying a uh, buggy that is a resale buggy, so it's been used by one family previously, saves the equivalent of a thousand disposable coffee cups. So it has a tangible difference in terms of sustainability. And that's a big thing. And effectively, how big is this market globally and are there any particular platforms that you view as direct competition? 
it's an enormous market. Um, so every year, um, kind of in Europe alone, there's 4 million babies born every year. Um, and nearly half of those babies will be in families that only have one child. So everybody's buying all these things new, using them for one child, and then they don't get passed on to siblings, for example. So there's a lot of amazing products sitting in the market. They're just very hard to find and hard to tap into with those current kind of mass market um, places. Um, and globally, I mean, it's a huge market just in terms of overall baby goods. We're talking about somewhere close to kind of the 80 billion mark. So it's a, it's a big market. Um, we see that there is particularly a lot of, um, there's a lot of work happening in secondhand kids' clothing. So it's quite a fragmented market. There's a lot of players in it. Um, there isn't really the same focus on these big kind of key investment items that we focus on, like buggies and baby tech and those types of things. So we are in some ways first movers in this space in Europe. Um, in North America, there are a few players that are kind of getting into this and doing some interesting things, but we're really excited to kind of be the first ones to really do this at scale in um, Ireland, the UK, and very quickly into the rest of Europe. And of course, you touched upon the topic of sustainability. So how do you position Kendora in that respect? Well, I think it's important that we we recognize that I think the pandemic changed everything when it comes to parenting. And I think that that this industry and the idea of what you buy, how you use things, the value you get out of them, the ability to unlock that value, to find great quality items in, in the, the secondhand market, it, it really has shifted everything. So um, what we position ourselves at is we are really there to help parents, not only who already have these items and want to unlock the value of them to get the next thing, because you always need the next thing when you're a parent, but for the parents who are buying these items, from us that we're de-risking that entire purchase, that they're still able to buy great quality items sustainably at a good price, but they're safe and they're clean and they have warranties. And so you're not compromising in any way. There's only upside from a value side and from a, a sustainability point of view. Now, a challenge for many startup businesses is raising funds for the enterprise. So what was your experience of raising funds for Kindora here in Ireland? So interestingly, we um, we did a really kind of um, exciting and really kind of well-subscribed pre-seed round in 2020. Um, and we had some fantastic um, investors join our cap table and all of them were angel investors for that round, which was great. And so what we got from that was not just the capital, but really amazing expertise. Um, and so we're now raising, uh, about to raise another round of investment to be able to expand to the UK. Um, we're doing that strategically through a number of avenues. But what we found is um, our... There's some great angels who are based in Ireland who I think really get what we're doing. We also have a number of investors who are from outside of Ireland who are really interested in what we're, we're doing as well. So um, my hope is that as a female founder in particular, that there are more avenues that kind of come up through the ecosystem for startups for female founders in particular, because it is hard. But and, and I think sometimes Ireland has, it seems to me, it's been a challenge for female founders, different to maybe the UK where there's a lot of infrastructure that's really there to support female founders. So my hope is that in this time next year, a new female founder will have an easier time raising than maybe we've had. So what do you think needs to change in the market for that to happen? I would say more female investors is one thing. So I think what we've been very lucky is that we have not the majority female investors on our cap table, but we actually, those, those women who invested in us actually invested the most money. So we are majority female funded. And I think what what I've found is there just is there aren't enough you know female investors who are supporting female um, founders and entrepreneurs. That's one thing, and I think also there's kind of maybe a hesitance in Ireland to invest in um, in kind of consumer facing 
startups. So I think everybody gets very excited about the kind of B2B platforms, SaaS platforms, it, anything that's really kind of that focus seems to get a lot of attention. I think it's harder for consumer focused brands and, and startups. So I hope that there can be a change in that kind of dynamic as well. And have you found that there might be an issue as well in relation to the fact that if you're out there pitching in front of male investors, that they just don't understand that baby market well enough? We see kind of half-half. So we've had some kind of negative experiences, certainly in some cases where not only do they not understand it, but I think that they, they kind of write it off right away because it is it, it would be very different if we were talking about a different, say, it's a different sector. But I think there's this kind of idea sometimes that we're talking about buggies and, and cots and so how expensive and how, how much can they be. Um, but we've also had some very positive experiences, particularly with um, investors who are parents or grandparents, and they have lived this problem themselves. They really understand it. So it's 50-50. I do think that, interestingly, we've had such a positive response from younger investors, so investors who don't have children yet in their 20s who are part of VC firms, for example, they absolutely understand why this is essential. It's because they're the parents that are going to be the next generation of parents and they expect this to be there. So how did your experience differ when you went fundraising from an international perspective? It was a wild difference, to be honest. I think what was very clear was that US-based investors in particular were really jumping on this opportunity because they'd seen it already explode in the US. So in the US um, in 2021, baby tech, for example, was a huge sector. Um, more money was invested in baby tech in 2021 than the previous four years combined. And so I think that US investors see the opportunity in the, the scope of the, the, the market and were very keen to kind of jump on that from a European context. Um, I also think some of the UK investors that we were talking to were very excited because they're not afraid of kind of consumer-focused startups. And we were talking to, to, to investors investors who really have a portfolio of those investments already. Um, so it moved faster. And I think we had to spend less time really mapping out the scope of the opportunity, to be fair. And how do you plan to use the funds which you've already raised to grow the business? Well, it's exciting because we're investing very heavily in people and in brand building. And those are critical things for parents, right? So we want to make sure that we parents can trust us and understand like all the, the, the process and fail safes that we put in place. We want to really shout about that as we grow into the UK market, for example. Um, and we need the right people to be able to help us on that journey. So that's two key investments. Um, we're also really investing in the idea of the right partnerships. So while we have these great brand uh, relationships already from a, a supplier point of view, we want to make sure that we're also investing in those as an innovative partner. So, um, you know, helping to kind of uh, change the way that they're, you know, it's been a very old school industry for the last kind of 30 years. And so being able to be a part of that innovation is, is really important for us. I'm interested in finding out more about your brand partnership plans. So what's your criteria for choosing a brand partner and then what's your approach from there? Mm, so that's a really good question. I think what we we focused on is we really looked at who are the brands in the market that have the, the best quality products that stand up to kind of having two or three families use them and use them with like strong product integrity. Um, what are the brands that are already thinking about how they're going to be more sustainable, how they want to enter the, the circular uh, economy space um, and, and already thinking about that? And, and finally, what are brands that we see as kind of category leaders who, if we're working with, um, it's a real kind of mark of, of credibility. Um, so we proactively approached a number of them last year, just really kind of out of the blue. Um, and they've resulted in very strong relationships. So um, we work with the brands like Up a Baby. We're, we're very close talking to brands like Stocka who are a great Norwegian brand, who are very focused on sustainability. Um, we work with a, a great British brand called Casato. And those are all brands who are already thinking about how they can do this for the next generation of parents. And so they like what we're doing and they see real opportunity. 
And we spoke already about the buying and selling of products through Condora, but you also offer a rental service. We do. And we did that particularly in Ireland to kind of test the market to see what kinds of products parents were looking to rent. And it was a very clear um, kind of result for us that parents weren't necessarily interested in renting items that they were going to use every single day for the next two years. So buggies, for example. But where we did see rental really take off were in products that were particularly for newborns that were around the baby tech side of things that are so that means that they're essentially like they're, they're very um, expensive to buy outright, but they are kind of game changers in terms of helping the whole family sleep or being able to help with feeding and those types of things. So we've seen real success there. When we go into the UK, we're going to think a little bit differently about how we do the rental market, but we do see it as a part of the ecosystem and part of the experience, but not the whole thing. What is your plan then in relation to expanding your product range over the years ahead? Mm. Well, we want to grow up with the parents who are who um, are our customers. So our vision is, you know, you have a baby today and you um, buy and sell through Kindora for the things that you need. We want to be with you on that journey until your child is 10. So you can imagine bikes, scooters, other kinds of tech. I always joke around that like things like skis and that, that type of stuff, that we're going to be the, the place where you can do that. Uh, and so that's really important for us that we're on that journey with parents to make the family budget stretch further to make sure that there's like top quality items that are always being used by your family. Family. Um, but also we have a real vision to help support just families in general. So the idea of when you buy and sell through Condora, being able to use the proceeds of that sale to, say, make very kind of uh, donations to family-focused charities or being able to save some of that money for your child's education fund or even offset child care costs. We're building in that kind of technology into our platform. What are your strategic plans from a growth perspective? So really, it's about for us scale. So I think um, I think what's inhibited a marketplace like this previously, like before the pandemic, was that it was hard to get outside of geography. It was kind of operationally difficult. We we're really challenging that. So um, we moved into the UK this year, very quickly going across Europe in the following few years and looking at the US as a next port of call for us. Um, and so that's big. And then really investing in the technology that we want to build to support our process. So part of what we want to do is make sure that um, we really refine how we do this better and more efficiently um, over the next 12 months so we can build something that suits what we need. And I would say the other thing that we're building is essentially the blue book for secondhand kids' gear because there is nowhere to go to find out how much your stroller is worth in the secondhand market or, you know, that play kitchen that your child's finished with, how much is that worth? There's no resource for that. So we're building that. I mean, we hope to kind of make that a European-wide resource. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Sarah Wallace from Kendora, and we will certainly watch with interest as this business aims to succeed internationally. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast.